0: Fashion emergency hotline. Help! My mom doesn't think I need to go back to school shopping. You have to go to school. It's the law. You didn't let me finish. She doesn't think I need to go back to school shopping. That should be a law. Go to Old Navy. You'll be voted best dressed before school even starts. Old Navy? Yeah, starting tomorrow, kids' clothes are up to 60% off. 60% off? Yeah, the hallway will be your runway. They have awesome graphic tees, colorful active gear, and jeans start at just $10. Now you're talking. Thank you. Don't thank me. Thank Old Navy. Valid 728-92. to 92. Select styles only. It's 6 o'clock. told radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and the Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield.
1: Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, June 2nd, 2016. We're in June already. Tonight we have James Randy Ackley, who was on a couple of weeks ago he 's returning to give us his views the new application of an old legal theory, and he 's got me very intrigued. He mentioned it at the very end of his interview uh, his last interview on the show. I must say that I think this will be an interesting interview tonight. <laughs> It's all about something called adhesion contracts, but more than that it's about unconscionability. Like last week just as at the stage I want to make it clear that the many decisions around the country are gradually exposing the underbelly of the largest economic crime in human history. For many people it remains hard to believe. For most people it is hard to understand and that's the way the banks want it. Now that the mood is shifting, it is quite possible that someone, like Randy, who is a real thinker, would come up with something that judges are ready to hang their hat on. The most interesting strategic view of Mr. Ackley's legal application here is that, in my view, it gives judges a way out to say that he's right without admitting that everything the judges did before was wrong. of course, I believe that everything the judges did before was wrong, but they're not inclined to admit that. Judges don't like to do that. This way they can say that they are ruling in favor of the borrower because nobody brought this up before, including me, even though up until I heard this one, I thought I had at least brushed every possible legal doctrine. I didn't. Uh, While I did write about unconscionability, I missed this doctrine that gives support to uh, claims and defenses uh, based on unconscionability. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Lending Lies, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you hit the donate button on the blog or call the main number which is now 202-838-6345, which is our new main number. The 6345 happens to spell out the name Neil N-E-I-L. Or you can call 954-495-9867 and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can call 520-405-1688. If this show has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and all consumers. So, tonight, we have Randy Ackley, James uh, Randy Ackley, who uh, uh, was on a couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned, and we were talking about various defenses and the various uh, strategies being employed uh, for foreclosure defense. And at the very end of that, he mentioned adhesion contracts, which I'll let him explain. I've since researched it, and I find that he, I think he's really on to something. So a little bit about Randy for those of you who uh, uh did not hear the show a couple of weeks ago. He uh, has his own law office, uh, James R. Ackley, PA. He can be reached at 561-594-5671 for a free consultation. He's located in West Palm Beach, uh, all of South Florida. And he's focused on trial advocacy and highly contested litigation. He's AV-rated, and he supports clients at all stages of litigation. And as I have mentioned before, one of the impressive things about Randy is that he has not led what I would call a normal life leading up to uh, lawyering. He's de- over the past 25 years, he's devoted his life to disaster relief and humanitarian aid, having been employed at the American Red Cross and in charge of the Presbyterian Global Disaster Assistance. He was on the ground when hurricanes like Andrew and Katrina struck, and he has responded to to tornadoes, floods, armed conflict in Kosovo, the economic collapse in Bulgaria, the tsunami in South Asia, earthquakes in Haiti and Japan, all while keeping his membership active in the Florida Bar. And without saying more like he could leap over buildings with a single bound, Um, Randy, welcome back to the show.
2: Thank you very much, Neil. I'm really pleased to be here.
1: So after you dropped that uh, adhesion contract comment to me and unconscionability, I obviously started looking it up and uh, uh, let's, see if we can flesh it out. First of all, what is an adhesion contract? Okay.
2: Um well, first let me also just point out that uh, there are other people also looking into this. And I'm I'm not alone on this cuz and that's important cuz nobody wants to be the only one raising an issue like this cuz it's not going to get as much attention if there's only one person saying it. It will never get credibility. So I'm thrilled that like uh, uh, Ilya Tinker and, and, and other and attorneys around the state are also looking at it. And thanks very much for highlighting this, Neil. But I have to say it's a very interesting issue. Um, I, I, an adhesion contract uh, in and of itself won't render a contract uh, unconscionable. Let's make that one point out at the, uh, clear at the, at the front of the conversation. But uh, let me read this quote. Uh, oh, no, before I read the quote, let me tell you just, just describe for a minute what an adhesion contract is. And an adhesion contract is one where there are two parties or more, but one party to the contract uh, presents the terms of the contract. Um, that party has all of the power in the negotiation. Uh, the other party has no say in the terms of the contract. The contract is presented as a take it or leave it. Um, and and, and it, in those circumstances, that's adhesion because the, 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 the party who is being offered the contract is being forced to either take it the way it is or, or, or not enter into the contract. Now, now think about mortgage closings or home closings where people are buying their homes. First of all, think about the power of, of, of the party sitting at that table. In the vast majority of cases, your clients, Neil, and mine, sitting at the closings five, three, four, five, ten years ago, uh, we're not financial financial experts. Uh, many of us buy one home during our whole life, or maybe two. We may or may not ever refinance that home. We have very little experience with the industry. And here we are sitting at a table with somebody who does nothing but uh, real estate closings and, and originating loans. And they presented the, 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 the borrowers, the buyers, with these contracts. And you and I both know that at those, those, those closings, Presented to the buyers oftentimes wasn't even what they were told they would be offered at the closing. So in many cases, our clients have been told, yes, you've been qualified, and we've talked about this. You've been qualified for a 30-year fixed rate loan. They get to the mortgage or to the house closing, the real estate closing, and they're told, oh, we're sorry. Uh, We're not going to offer you that loan. In fact, you're going to have a 15-year adjustable rate, interest-only, pick-a-pay type loan, which is an entirely different animal. First of all, those of right. who have been doing this for a while now recognize that's a huge difference. But, but for the people who are trying to buy a house who, have, who may have already sold the, the house they're living in now and are really committed to moving in, buying and, and moving into this new house, um, first of all, how would they know what that means? And secondly, they have no capacity, no power at that negotiating table, at that table to negotiate at all. They can't change it. They have to take it or leave it. They don't have any options. Let, let me read you this quote from a case from um, the uh, 2003 uh, out of the First District Court of Appeal in Florida. An adhesion contract, the, the case is Gainesville Healthcare Center, Inc. versus Weston, and the site is 857 Southern 2nd 278. And the quote from, from the head note is just wonderful. It explains what an adhesion contract is. In this particular case, by the way, they ruled that it, it, it wasn't unconscionable, but that, that's not the issue here. Here they give a wonderful definition of what, what an adhesion contract is. An adhesion contract is defined as a standardized contract form offered to consumers of goods and services on essentially a take-it-or-leave-it basis without affording the consumer a realistic opportunity to bargain and under such conditions that the consumer cannot obtain the desired product or services except by acquiescing in the form contract. The fact that a contract is one of adhesion is a strong indicator that the contract is procedurally unconscionable because it suggests an absence of meaningful
1: choice. That's an important point. That is important. That's particularly important because the entire Truth in Lending Act is based on the premise that Uh, back in the 60s when they originally passed it, to give borrowers choice as to who they did business with, which required the disclosure of who they were doing business with and required the good faith estimate and other disclosures on the terms. Uh, But I remember, just to piggyback on, on what you've been talking about, when I went out to Arizona and my wife and I bought our house out there um, we were told don't bring a lawyer to closing they didn't realize I was a lawyer the person talking they said don't bring a lawyer to closing because he can't change anything anyway and I found that peculiar along with the fact that they didn't use original documents on most of the stuff that they were presenting but I just thought I'd add that go ahead no i think I think that's a
2: very important point point. one of the cases i read they specifically talked about the fact that and now we're getting from we're moving from the adhesion concept to the unconscionable concept and and adhesion alone is a is a a very important point of this this issue but it all falls back to unconscionable um and i and let me read a, a quote from a case uh from nineteen eighty two uh from the believe it or not uh, the I hope you're sitting down, Neil. This is the 3rd District Court of Appeal, AmeriFirst Federal Savings and Loan Association versus Century 21 Commodores Plaza, 416 Southern 2nd, 45. Um, It is axiomatic that a court of equity may refuse to foreclose a mortgage when an acceleration of the due date makes acceleration unconscionable and foreclosure inequitable and unjust. Let me ask you, Neil, in reflecting on the number of clients that you've had in this foreclosure crisis, do you think that might have applied to a number of those cases?
1: Thousands, tens of thousands. Absolutely,
2: absolutely. And one of the problems I think we're facing is there are so many of these mortgages that are absolutely foreclosing is unconscionable. That's where one of the challenges comes up in trying to make this argument in each particular case. We've got, and, and this is important for, for people who have homes that are considering or are dealing with foreclosure to, to recognize each case, and, and I think I'm repeating something you said at the beginning of the show, each case is taken on a case-by-case basis. It's the facts of those case, of that case that's presented to the judge in the court um, that will make or break the case. And when, you, when we're addressing this unconscionability issue, we really have to highlight um the facts of that particular case and why that particular case is unconscionable. Um, right.
1: okay, so um let's let's talk about how we would apply this to uh most of the people on the line are interested in uh uh, uh foreclosures of mortgages, obviously. So how do you apply um, the adhesion concept uh, and build your case for unconscionability? Because we know that most contracts today are adhesion contracts, which is to say that in most cases, whether you're signing a lease or whatever, it's a pre-printed thing, and uh, the way – it's uh, presented as take it or leave it, which is the very definition of adhesion. So, uh, but on the other hand, the uh, the statutory uh, requirements of disclosure and choice, um, particularly when they change the terms from before the closing to when you get to the closing and find out that you got a completely different animal, as you said, Um Now we're building a case for unconscionability. So um, uh, I know there's a number of uh, factors uh, in scrutinizing adhesion contracts. Uh, Well, let's talk about those first. Um, What are the factors, what gets factored into the decisions Uh, regarding unconscionability of a contract. There's a
2: wonderful quote uh, from a case, Seinhart v. Rudolph, 422-7, second, 884. It's, again, a third DCA case uh, from 1982. It's a little bit of a long quote, but but I think it's very important because it highlights, I think, the, the underlying issue of unconscionability. The law in Florida is clear that an unconscionable contract or an unconscionable term therein will not be enforced by a court of equity. And I'm going to break away for a minute just to point out that in Florida, the courts that deal with foreclosure are equitable courts. The the issue is equity in, in Florida. It's not a legal issue. It's an equitable issue. And back to the quote. It seems to be established by the authorities that where it is perfectly plain to the court that one party to a contract has overreached the other and has gained an unjust and undeserved advantage, which it would be inequitable to permit him to enforce, that a court of equity will not hesitate to interfere, even though the victimized parties owe their predicament largely to their own stupidity and carelessness. Stated differently, if a contract or term thereof is unconscionable at the time the contract is made, a court may refuse to enforce the contract or may enforce the remainder of the contract without the unconscionable term, or may so limit the application of any unconscionable term as to avoid any unconscionable result. And one example of this is a court that refused to accelerate the loan, refused to allow foreclosure, and allowed the mortgages to go ahead and pay the payments moving forward, even though the plaintiff wanted to accelerate the loan and foreclose and sell their house. That's how that could be enforced. But let's go back up and get back into this. Has gained where where one party to a contract has overreached the other and has gained an unjust and undeserved advantage. Now, let's look at that point as it applies to real estate closings and the mortgages that were being sold wholesale across the United States in 2005, 6, 7, eight, nine. Um, Let me interject.
1: Let me just interject here uh, my own two cents, which is that – what Randy's talking about applies to all contracts, which includes modifications. And I think that it applies to the original closing without doubt, but I think it applies to modifications even more because of the unjust result that is apparent and which normally without this doctrine – uh, could not even be presented in foreclosure defense. So go ahead, Randy. No,
2: I, absolutely. In fact, I'd like to pick up this modification issue a little bit uh, in a little bit because the I know you and I have both seen loan mods offered to our clients, some of which are are good. The legitimate, they're offering them a, a reduced. Principal, they're waiving the fees and the interest, and they're actually near, they're at or below the market value of the property, and they're reasonable payments, and there's no balloon at the end, a good, real solid modification. But how many mods are actually just an abuse of the whole system and taking advantage of the national mortgage settlement to again find a way to, re, to re, uh, reinstate the, the outrageous sums that are owed under loans that were inappropriate to begin with? And that brings me back to the point of the unconscionability at the term, of the contract The the, was entered into at the closing. What what was going on then? We had we had appraisers who were in on the 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 the, were colluding with the banks and the mortgage brokers to put high values on the homes, in some cases, well above fair market value of the homes, in order to increase the value of the mortgages. We had Uh, personally,
1: Randy, Randy, I personally saw. I personally saw the instructions given to some appraisers that basically told them, here's the contract price. You need to come in 20000 above it. And that's, I might that's, also that's, add... Yeah. Yes. And I might also add that in 2005, I think it was, it's on my blog, 8,000 appraisers petitioned Congress to do something because they were being put under pressure to come in with appraisals that the bank wanted that were too high and that would undermine their profession and their professional responsibility. And you know what Congress did? Nothing. Absolutely. So the issue of unconscionability just on appraisal is something that I did touch on years back, and that is exactly what you're raising. You, somebody goes to a closing, and they're relying on the, the lender, or who they think is the lender, uh, to, do, to act in a reasonable business fashion, when in fact the lender is a pretender lender, but more important as to this point, uh, uh, this party simply wants the loan to be as high as possible because they want to move as much money as possible and the fact that what they're doing is setting up a homeowner to fail on the loan doesn't bother them because it doesn't make any difference to them if the homeowner pays or not. I'd add another thing that happened in in my Arizona experience which was they uh, virtually insisted that we add into the mortgage uh, landscaping and all kinds of things that, you know, we were going to do. They didn't want us to pay cash. They They wanted it in the loan. And that's the first thing that tipped me off in 2004 that there was something going on because no lender would say that. Not if if they were looking to maintain their security position, and uh, and I found out from neighbors and so forth that they also felt like they were pushed into taking on more debt than uh, uh, they originally intended. So the the appraisal factor is a is a red hot button for me. I, I think you're highlighting. Uh an
2: element of this whole crisis that is critical to understand. And that is that once the the lending industry was allowed to bundle these loans and sell derivatives and securitize them, the entire paradigm that we had been raised with since we were children was destroyed. And, And by that, what I mean is, When I was raised and when most of us were raised, we were raised to believe that the lending industry was very protective of itself. It wouldn't give a mortgage to somebody unless they could pay it back because they wanted to get paid back the loan. We were all raised thinking that we could rely on the system to be protecting itself out of self-interest. But once all of that changed, when the the derivatives and bundled loans and trusts and securitized loans came out, the motivation to protect the industry from defaults on loans disappeared, like you said. Now the the interest is how soon can I – how much money can I lend these people to make the highest percentage I can off of the highest amount of money possible, and then I sell the loan immediately, and and there's no risk to me at all. And, and in fact, the system was set up that they had to sell it at least twice in order to protect the, the, the buyers down the line from potential bankruptcy up the line. So everything changed, and none of us, in the in, as consumers, were aware of it, or not very few of us were. I certainly wasn't aware of it, and and the whole everything changed. We could no longer rely on the mortgage industry to be self-interested and protecting
1: itself. Um,
2: and as a result, everything they did was geared to selling the mortgage, no matter what, and that included things like the appraisals and again the appraisal is so important we're reliant on appraisals being valid as both borrowers and supposedly lenders in order to to have a, a realistic expectation that the house will be worth the amount that it's that's being loaned on it but with these appraisers inflating the appraisal value first of all it, on the individual houses it was wrong because they weren't worth as much as they were being appraised at. but secondly it created that bubble that eventually burst in, and we may be seeing that again and then, and then we had again no no uh, the safety net we were expecting when we were entering into the mortgages was not there. We were misled to believe that yes, you can afford this loan. Of course, you can afford this loan. Just look at how fast the mortgage the, the values of the homes are rising. Of course, you can afford this loan. No problem, sign it. So they, so many people did. Um, and now let's go back to that case note that described unconscionability. Um, one party to a contract has overreached the other and has gained an unjust and undeserved advantage this whole situation was a setup by the lending industry all of the borrowers sitting at the table all of the home buyers sitting at the table were being victimized by an industry trying to maximize its profits and allow itself to securitize and, and sell the derivatives and sell these loans and they did it and i i think that falls directly into an unjust an undeserved advantage. I would think that falls in that that definition. I think it also applies to the loan mods, because if you look at the loan mods that are coming out of the so-called national uh, mortgage settlement, which was supposed to help the system, but is actually just the national, I think, the national banking and lender rescue package. It certainly doesn't help most of the homeowners. They're getting offered, many of them are being offered loan mods that are just, again, outrageous. The inflated value of the homes from 2008 are still the, the, they're, they're not reducing principal, they're not, reduce, they're not waiving the fees that are unconscionable, I think, as well. They're not waiving the, the, the multiple property inspection charges, which may not be allowed under the contract at all, but they still uh, apply them. Um, so anyway, I, I don't mean
1: to to, 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 wa- no, uh, to, to to
2: rail, but I think it's just outrageous.
1: I I think that I wanted you to rail because it's good to hear somebody rail other than me. Um, I I think one of the interesting things that you wrote uh, is that investors in the empty trust, we all know that the trust never got any money and never had any assets, investors in the empty trust are also now making claims of unconscionability because the trusts do not contain the notes that were allegedly purchased, transferred, or delivered. And the investors who purchased the mortgage backed securities and derivatives are exploited by the unenforceability of the PSAs that were deliberately poorly written and therefore were contracts of adhesion that are unconscionable. And what what I find that's wonderful. That that's what I find interesting about that is that the unconscionability argument applies at both ends of the line the 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 beginning where they took money from investors and the investors didn't realize it wasn't going where they thought it was going and in the end where they pushed loans on homes that were vastly overpriced and Uh, uh, produced an unconscionable result. And when we say overpriced, this is not just some vague thought or or theory. The Case-Shiller Index shows clearly that for about 110 years, the price of housing was consistent with Household income. So if household income went up, housing prices went up. Housing price, if household income went down, then housing prices would go down. It wasn't an exact match, but pretty much if you look at it, you can see that they both track each other. And then you get to this sudden spike which is the largest rise ever seen in the real estate market where the, the prices literally doubled, sometimes tripled. And I remember, again, from Arizona, where at one point the price of housing in this new development I was in was going up 20% a month. And some of my neighbors were taken in by this saying, we're making a fortune. I understood that we weren't making a fortune that a crash was coming but um uh the the difference between the price of the house and household income was like uh 100 to 1 as to the the ratio that had existed before the securitization era. And so this issue of Appraisal, being part of the unconscionability claim or defense, is, I think, very important and and factual and fairly easy to prove. The appraisers, and I interviewed them, were forced to take what they called comparables of, of housing in the same development, which basically the price was set by the developer and raised um, as fast as he could. The 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 normal appraisal technique would have been to set to say, okay, I'll look at that, and then look at housing prices from a year before. And if there was too much of a spike, they would have discounted the the price that was being asked, and said that the fair market value of the house. Is much lower than that, but they were it basically they were put in a position where they didn't do that because if they did do an honest appraisal, they would no longer get any work, and the 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 mega banks were controlling all the business that went to all the appraisers and all of the uh, uh, people who did closings. Uh, for a living, the title agents, the lawyers, and so forth. And they created a money train for these people so that they would just act like robots. These were robo closings. All the factors involved in the so called closing were pre uh, uh, set by the mega banks on Wall Street who were. Uh, who had created the illusion that they were not the parties at closing when in fact they were and that they were so remote that they had nothing to do with the closing in fact this was exactly what was planned by the megabanks and eventually it's my hope that people will realize not just what they did was wrong in the past, but that they're still doing it. And with the help of the Federal Reserve, they're sweeping the whole problem under the rug by creating a new boom or spike or bubble uh, to replace the old one for fear that when it, when and if it, it actually falls, when those prices of assets come down, most of them fictional assets in the shadow banking market, that the whole financial system will collapse. That's not really true. There's, for certain, those people who are associated with the mega banks will suffer uh, uh, problems, uh, but maybe not if the banks are allowed to bring the money back in that they've parked offshore and that they sucked out of the economy, which by most estimates is around 4 or $5 trillion. So, uh, Randy, comment on that? Uh, yeah. I'm, I, the problem is
2: that, like most people, I'm not a financial expert. I'm a trial lawyer. Um, that 's what I do and and when I hear and watch uh, the industry basically uh, just take full advantage of all of us that aren't aren 't in the industry it 's just really heartbreaking and, and it 's heartbreaking because the consequences of their um, i have to say it syndicated criminal behavior except it 's not criminal because they 're allowed to do it um, are really tragic uh, in the individual families that are that are having to deal with it, and and this isn't a matter of people who went out of their way to try to take advantage of the system and now are are, are trying to not pay their mortgages and get their houses for free. This is remember everybody in in the neighborhoods and in, in the the communities had to pay those prices because the and, and have to pay the prices because. The industry is lifting up the, value, the, the cost of the homes, whether they're worth it or not. You have to pay that or not buy a home.
1: Yeah, so contrary to your belief on the bench, the, the, the borrowers are not deadbeats, and they didn't have a secret meeting at, uh, in, early, in the early 2000s uh, uh, at which they decided to defraud the, the major banks of the country. 20 million people. uh, It would be hard to get 20 million people in the same room, I think.
2: (laughs) It would be very difficult. Uh, Although we might be able to get 20 million to listen to your show, but I I don't know. I I have to say, I just think that that, I do think the judges in most cases are trying to do the right thing, but they, they still, many of them just don't understand the real dynamics of what's going on here. Um, and just to make things a little bit more frightening and, and highlight the fact that there's another bubble, and maybe it's not directly related to the bubble, but the foreclosure fraud website has a, an article that came up today that says another spike in defaults is coming because uh, interest-only alternate A loans are, are about to, to recast a full payment of principal and interest. That means we're going to face another, was it 2008 or 2009 when, when they hit the first time? I forget.
1: They're back. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
2: It's going to happen again, possibly, and it's terrifying.
1: Well, my opinion is not just possible. It's sure to happen. And uh, uh, if we don't do something, by we, I mean the people of the country, because we can't rely on our political structure to do anything. It's owned by the banks. Uh, If we don't do anything about it, it's going to happen all over again where the banks make a fortune on the crash and, and the rest of us end up having at, at the very least problems and, uh, uh, and an average situation where lives are turned upside down. I mean, so far I think it's around 20 million people that have been displaced by this absurd system. And uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, uh, it's an equitable court. It's a, a court of equity. And in, in this setting, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that judges are just people with whatever limits there are on their intellect or the depth of their knowledge. And you're right. They just don't get it. And truth be told, I'm not sure that you can blame them for not getting it because unlike people like me, they have no experience with having been on Wall Street and, and how things work and how money moves and how people make money. And, I mean, basically Wall Street, especially the investment banks, is out to make your money their money. And they did a very good job of that. Uh, uh, and I don't mean that in praise, but they certainly succeeded in their task. So, uh, in the remaining minutes that we've got here, let me ask you this um, Are you using unconscionability as a defense now, or are you just starting to? I'm just starting
2: to. I'm, I'm just beginning to put it in as affirmative defenses. Um, that we can raise. I'm, I'm actually beginning to try to amend some of the existing answers and affirmative defenses that I've already filed. Uh, and some of my clients come to me with um, uh, their pleadings already in place. And, and I'm trying to, when I amend their, their answers and affirmative defenses uh, to comport with what I think are the best strategies and issues I'm I'm putting them in now. It's a new thing for me. Absolutely. Um, and there is another element to unconscionability. Uh, a friend of mine, Mukhtar Kalsa in New Mexico, uh, has also outlined that the, the mortgage contracts are self-contradictory in that there are requirements written into the contract that they comport with local and state and national law. And yet in that same contract, uh, there is a, a provision that the lender has no obligation to notify the borrower when they sell the note and mortgage, well, that means that they have the, the, the borrowers aren't necessarily informed of who actually has a right to enforce the note and mortgage, and it becomes it's a much more complex argument than that. But that self-contradiction makes renders the contract unconscionable from his perspective. And I think it's a very important argument to, to explore, and I'm trying to explore that as well. So, in answer to your question, yeah, I'm beginning to work it in. There's a lot more to be done, and I and I would invite other attorneys. Uh, let's talk and and work. Out better defenses than I can do on my own. And, and, Neil, one more thing. I keep getting calls uh, from around the country. I, I really wish I could be more helpful, but we need to have attorneys who are actively defending, and, and not just settling, but actively defending foreclosure, lift up your names,
1: figure out some way to get your names in your communities, because people are looking for you. Well, that's a, a very important thing you just said, because the... Uh, uh, I mean, when I started... Uh, uh, looking into this back in 2007 and people were asking me for help, I personally made calls to as many as, as 20 law firms in the area and asked them if they would uh, uh, take on representation that, for clients who had the money and were perfectly willing to pay the fees. And the answer was no. I, I literally couldn't get one lawyer And then over time, lawyers started entering the marketplace. And now um, uh, you've got the usual assortment of where you've got lawyers like yourself and me who are out to win, not to kick the can down the road, then lawyers who are sometimes hired for the purpose of kicking the can down the road, and other lawyers who are just looking to justify their fees. Uh, it's really important for those people out there who are really um, uh, experienced trial lawyers to get in the mix here and uh, make yourselves known. Allow us to, help you, and we we will bring the business to you. Unfortunately, we're running out of time here, Randy. I just want to uh, uh, state your number again for those people who want to call you. Five six one five nine four five six seven one. I want to encourage uh, you, Randy, uh, to do uh, perhaps some litigation support. Thank you for coming.
2: Thanks very much. Daniel
1: All right, and we'll be back next week with Rodriguez.
0: Thanks for listening to our broadcast. an emergency hotline help my mom doesn't think I need to go back to school. Shopping. You have to go to school. It's the law. You didn't let me finish. She doesn't think I need to go back to school shopping. That should be a law. Go to Old Navy. You'll be voted best dressed before school even starts. Old Navy? Yeah, starting tomorrow, kids' clothes are up to 60% off. 60% off? Yeah, the hallway will be your runway. They have awesome graphic tees, colorful active gear, and jeans start at just $10. Now you're talking. Thank you. Don't thank me. Thank Old Navy. Ballot 728 to 9-2. Select styles only. The deals are getting hotter during the dear days of summer.
1: Get Get 0% financing for 60 months on all John Deere compact tractors. Plus, get a best-in-class 6-year powertrain warranty at no additional cost. Hurry in today
0: for the hot deals of summer. Offer ends August second, 2, 2016, subject to approved installment credit with John Deere Financial. Terms, conditions, exclusions, and warranty limitations apply. See dealer for details. Visit your local John Deere dealer today to take advantage of special savings going on now. Find out more at myjohndeerdealer.com.